Hey everybody, how's it going? We are back. And uh, yeah, so fun little title <laughs> in the episode today. Happiness letter. <laughs> Is that something in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. many Latter-day Saints and non, non-members have heard of the, the happiness letter as it's uh, nicknamed. And I just thought we would call it a penis letter because it's really about Joseph's penis being sated. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, first of all, let's uh, let's chat about the LDS Church in the news. So I'm reading from the Idaho Statesman here. Never knew it existed before today. No offense if that's one of your favorite newspapers or <laughs> news outlets, whatever. Uh, uh, an article called Endure Until You Die. LDS Church's LGBTQ policies put gay youth at risk, advocates say. Interesting. Uh, Beckett Jones came out twice to his Latter-day Saints fa- family as a teenager, first at 13 years old as a gay woman, and then at 18 years old as a transgender man. Uh, Wait a minute. A (laughs) gay woman, and then a transgender man. So Hmm. was was she saying that she was a man, that she was a... Okay, sorry. So did she get changed? It doesn't really matter. I'm just no, sorry. I didn't, it, it, I didn't read this before the podcast, so I just didn't. <laughs> threw you off there a bit. It threw me, me off. Too. Okay. Anyway, yeah, me too. Jones' self-discovery, however, prompted a faith crisis as his family sought to reconcile their son's identity with a religious doctrine that has long advocated for the suppression of homosexuality in its members. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been criticized by some for its controversial policies and treatment of LGBTQ individuals. Local LGBTQ members and their families say they struggle with their religion as leadership in Salt Lake City continues to build walls between the church and the LGBTQ members. Um, For Latter-day Saints, leaving the church often means losing family and social circles. It's not just your religion. It's like a full-time job. Mm. No, that's true. And and this, uh, this twist in the title, Endure Until You Die, the concept there is, oh, yeah, we fully embrace LGBTQ members of the church. You just can't act on any of your desires or, or inklings. You can't be who you are. You can't be who you are. You can't act on it forever. But, yeah, we embrace you fully. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, you you don't. Um, yeah, anyway. Right. Well, we the church get... have become masters at contradiction. I mean, it, Jesus, the, it it just goes on and on and on. And, and somehow the mass majority of or vast majority of the membership doesn't even pick up on it. Nope. <laughs> Parent, no. Apparently. I mean, whatever. No. And then a lot of the membership kind of lives in closets, uh, so to speak. Right. Even if they're not LGBTQ, whatever right. issue they've got going on, there's this. There's this charade of pretending we're worthy when no one is, right? And so no, that, no one that, can be. No, yeah. it's impossible. No. 
So it's uh, it, it's a dichotomy to be a member a, a, as a straight member, let alone the LGBTQ thing. And so anyway, yeah, that's that's a, a, an episode in and of itself talking about this concept of worthiness. We definitely need to jump on that one at some point. Um, yep. So that's LDS Church in the news. Just a quick one there today. Um, the title of the episode, Happiness Letter. <laughs> uh, so here's here's what we'll do. So I'll give a quick background of this, Dave. Um, Sounds good. And then you can jump in. I know you've done some research, and we both watched a really good ep- uh, presentation. We'll mention who that was from and, and so forth, and on this whole thing. So folks, there's a, a quote. It, th- this thing is known by the quote, probably more than the, the title, the happiness letter throughout the church. Uh, and the, the quote I'll read to you, it's, it's the first sentence of a letter that Joseph Smith wrote in 1842. And it's been quoted and restated and restated. I don't know how many dozen times from the pulpit during conference is a very common venue for this to be mm-hmm. quoted by, by men and women who have spoken in conference. I heard it many, many times through my, through, through the years uh, growing up in the church and memorized a lot of, of, of the, you know, the first part of this, the, the problem <laughs> though is I never knew and shame on me. I never knew where this came from. Well, Shame on the church. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. I never knew the source, uh, but the, but the the sentence that uh, most is most quoted is just this first sentence: "Happiness is the object and design of our existence, and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness." and keeping all the commandments of God. That sentence right there is the most quoted. It goes mm-hmm. on, uh, and sometimes people memorize the next couple of sentences as well. So this is the beginning, though, and this is what I didn't know. This is the beginning of a letter that Joseph Smith wrote to one Nancy Rigdon, Sidney Rigdon's daughter. So Sidney Rigdon, you may all be aware of. Um, and the, the background of it is this, uh, which has all been documented. So I'm not just flying off on the cuff here. <laughs> uh, Joseph was in the habit of approaching young women and uh, saying, hey, you know, God's revealed this new and everlasting covenant where, you know, plural wives is uh, something he wants. So never mind in the book of Jacob, <laughs> the book of Mormon. <laughs> Uh, the Nephi's brother Jacob totally discounts this and says, Hey, if you use examples of David and Solomon and these other past guys, uh, you're wrong because God has never condoned concubines and multiple wives. Never mind that. <laughs> he, he uses the word abomination. Oh, yeah. He, it's an abomination so... before God. But no, no, sometimes it's not an abomination. <laughs> anyway. Uh, despite that, ignore the Book of Mormon for a minute. God says this is good, and he wants this right now. 
he wants my penis to be happy. So, uh, hey, let's let's go down. Um, well, <clears throat> we know that he did this at least 40 times that are documented. Uh, what we hear less about is what I term as the heroines of the Book of Mormon, uh, the Bodicias of 1842, if you will, or of the 1840s, uh, who declined. And so what happened here is uh, Joseph approaches Nancy Rigdon. She's 19 years old at the time, Sidney Rigdon's daughter. And by the way, and, yeah. this is a prearranged meeting with her. So she, I would assume, was excited, anticipating, wow, I, I have a one-on-one audience with the prophet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. that's, that's a great point, right? This is this is yeah. built up. It's like, hey, Joseph wants to meet with you this time and place. It's like, hey, the bishop has an opening at 1030. But this is not the bishop. This is the prophet. Um, this is a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Great point, oh, right? Geez. So she yeah. meets him. He, We don't have text of, of everything that he said verbatim. We know that at some point in the conversation, he introduced this idea to Nancy. Hey, uh, God has asked that some of us uh, in the leadership live this law, this higher law. Uh, it's not a big public thing. It, it's kind of secret. Uh, only a few of us have been asked by God to do this. Uh, will you be, you, you not will you be, you have been chosen as one of the uh, handmaidens of God, whatever phrase he used, right, uh, to be a, a, one of my plural wives. Um, well, Nancy freaked out. Nancy was a very principled young woman. Mm. She was uh, she was virtuous, virtuous uh, yeah. to the core, completely well shocked. educated. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I see her standing there, well dressed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, her reaction. She started crying. Yeah. yeah. She she started weeping, and and when she noticed that didn't have any effect on Smith, she said, "I'm going to scream so loud that everyone." Is going to come to see what's going on. Yeah, and I'll <laughs> and I'll tell people, you let me go, or I'll right. tell people what happened here, right? Because you're saying it's supposed to be secret. I'll tell everybody about it if you don't let me go. Well, he mm-hmm. lets her go because uh, yeah. he's like, ah, oh, shit, I don't want this to get out, right? Um, she goes home. The very next day, he has a letter delivered to her. Uh, the letter was written by one of the scribes that he used. Who was that? I don't even. Will, Willard Richards. Willard Richards. Very nice writing. Very good. By the dic- way, that good diction. Not that this matters. Sorry. Uh, April eleventh. Okay. As long as we're dating it, it it's April eleventh, eighteen forty-two. So he approached Nancy on April tenth because it was the yeah. very next day. Very next so day. He, he didn't waste any time because no he was probably nervous as hell himself. Oh, no. Well, he wanted to nip this it. in the bud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to yeah. get this fire out now. Yeah, because the longer you wait, she might she might change her mind. She might tell people, you know, he's like, no, I got to exactly. get, get this now. So I could picture him that night uh, pacing back and forth in a room, mm-hmm. dictating to uh, Willard Richards, right? Correct. And uh, Willard, great diction, great prose, puts Joseph's words together uh, in a 
in a actually correctly spelled version, <laughs> which is better than Joseph could usually do. Uh, and produces this really nice letter. It's not too lengthy. Um, where Joseph explains to Nancy why she, she should reconsider. Uh, and there's also some veiled threats in here, which I would suggest uh, another reason he wrote this, as we just said, said is, uh, hey, by the way, you're, you're, don't be telling anybody about this either. There's some threats in here. Uh, but but the, the thrust of the letter, and we'll go through a good portion of it, is, um, hey, you know, this is why you need to reconsider. Uh, this is serious business. Um, so, uh, you know, termed the happiness letter, this first sentence, again, quoted a lot, even by uh, leaders of the church and conferences through the decades. I knew it at the moment I heard it. But interestingly enough, we were never, ever told in the church, hey, by the way, <laughs> you know where that phrase comes from? <laughs> it comes wow. from a letter that Joseph had written and delivered to Nancy uh, to persuade this 19-year-old girl to, to have sex with him, basically. And, wow, that, that's a good thing they let that out, right? I think they'd have lost a lot of members uh, earlier if, if we knew about that. Um, the irony again to me is the first sentence of this letter quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted through the years. So quoting a portion of this letter, which I think you'll all agree, um, is absurd. And, uh, what, what other words can we use to describe this? Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's desperate. He's he's somewhat desperate. He's callous. He's callous to her feelings. It's all about saving his own ass. Yeah. And I don't make, think he really cares about how what she's going through. No, no. He tries to lay a mental trip on her. We'll talk about all this. And and really, this is a very flowery. Like like Joseph was, I, I, I think, the best pickup line author <laughs> of all time. <laughs> it's the most flowery, verbose, uh, God has commanded this, you know, I mean, it, it's the end of the world. It reminds me of, uh, what musical was that, in Greece? Or was that in, uh, where, where the guy starts singing, it's going to be the end of the world, or I got to go off to the army, or... Let's do it tonight. You know, I, oh, I don't know. Okay, the, okay. it's the infamous eighties, yeah, yeah. the eighties ballad, uh, yes. the eighties rock ballad, right. Of I'm only here tonight. <laughs> Let's spend it together. Uh, oh man. Anyway. Yeah. Dave, take us through. So I'll, I'll preface that too really quickly. So David and I both had the opportunity to watch uh, a Sunstone symposium presentation by Mr. Jonathan Streeter, otherwise known as Thinker of Thoughts. Uh, he's got a website, Thinker of Thoughts, and or thingsandstuff.com or whatever. He Thinker of Thoughts on YouTube. Uh, we, we both love most of Jonathan's stuff. Uh, very insightful guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a physician of some kind in real life. He's a very studied person. Um, 
great sense of humor too. He does the uh, the evil apostate <laughs> puppet videos. I'm here um, to take over your daughter. Yes, evil apostate. <laughs> uh, funny stuff. Uh, haven't met Jonathan. Invited him through Facebook to be part of the show. He doesn't know who we are. He's like, eh, you guys are just a couple fly-by-night morons who just swear too much. <laughs> he might be um, right. <laughs> yeah, he might be right. Uh, but um, anyway, he gave a great presentation, very thorough, on the happiness letter, as it is termed. Um, at Sunstone Symposium, we're going to go through some of his observations because we happen to agree with most of them. So I, I think it's uh, interesting stuff. Dave, kick us off. Well, after uh, the letter was delivered, uh, Sydney found it, was enraged, Cindy being Nancy's father, Sydney Rigdon, who had been with Smith from almost day one, uh, and was in, was enraged and approached Smith. And Smith said, well, I was just testing, <laughs> testing her. And so then he ha- he holds the letter up in front of him and says, what the hell do you mean you were just testing her? Well, we, we don't have the words, but something to that effect. And yeah. he said, okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, uh, you know. And so Rigdon leaves. He yeah. just leaves. Yeah. the church for quite some time. Um, so what Streeter does, he says, and, and I love this because this is what we do in a lot of our podcasts. He's looking for patterns in the letter with other religious sexual predators. So bottom line, he's looking at this letter and seeing where it indicates and how many ways it shows that Joseph Smith is nothing more than a very crafty sexual predator. Yeah. And so there's six things that he brings up. And so I'll just read through them and then uh, be looking for these things as we state, uh, you know, some parts of the letter. Number one, claims divine sanction or divine override. In other words, you know, what I say is the same as what God would say. Mm Mm-hmm. Number two, appeals to devotion and piety. And he really smothered that on with Nancy. She's a very pious young woman. Mm-hmm. Number three, creates religious justification. He does that more than one way. Number four, subverts morality. So essentially what he's getting at is that obedience is the only virtue. It's the highest law. Even morality is not as important as just overall obedience to whatever God wants. Mm -hmm. And it's going to change from time to time. Number five are the tools of manipulation. And this is very, very insightful. Enticement, fear, guilt, threat, obligation, insecurity. And he uses every one of those in this letter. And then number six, of course, secrecy. So he's not just asking for Nancy to submit to his sexual prowess or desires anyway, Mm. but this has to be secret uh, first and foremost, because it's illegal. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I can't be going to jail again. (laughs) Yeah. And secondly, because the church as a whole still doesn't know that this no. is going on. Uh, it's a, it's a select little cadre 
it started as Joseph as Joseph alone, and then it becomes this little cadre of leaders that are practicing this, um, kind of like a little sex club. <laughs> there you go. If you want to think of it that way, I mean, I don't know that the men were ever in the same room together with the women, like an orgy of some kind. But it's like this little secret sex club. Um, anyway, so what what is some of the language and mechanics of manipulation? This is a good insight, and I I believe Joseph used this for sure. Know what your targeted victim desires, mm. and then and then work on that, and use the bait. To, to reel them in. So the bait in this case, of course, is just happiness. Mm-hmm. And then you threaten them. You use if then statements. In other words, if you don't do this, then this, you know, this is, will be the result. If you do comply, then this will be the result. Mm-hmm. So um, we also, he's using we and our statements. So it's not, there's, there's no difference between us. What I think is what, you know, I'm on your side. In other words, I'm just looking out for your great, greatest welfare. And of course, ultimately your happiness, not mine, but you know, it's all one thing here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Um, and look, if people, were you planning on dropping some parts of the letter out there as you're explaining some of these, Dave? Or should we read through some bits and pieces of the letter here? Well, the statement that which is right in one circumstance may be wrong in another, you should definitely read that. Yeah, yeah. So we read the first sentence, happiness is the object and design of our existence. If we keep all the commandments of God, right? and. But we cannot keep the commandments without first knowing them, and we cannot expect to know all or more than we know now unless we comply with or keep those we've already received. So, look, you don't know all the commandments of God. Uh, you, you, you can know them and know more as God reveals more, but only if you keep them. So it's like this uh, tenacious little circle that you need to be trapped in and part of. That which is wrong under one circumstance may be, and often is, right under another. So then he gives some examples. God said, thou shalt not kill. At another time, he said, thou shalt utterly destroy. Mm-hmm. This is the principle on which the government of heaven is conducted by revelation adapted to the circumstances in which the children of the kingdom are placed. Oh, okay. So the Old Testament is all good stuff. <laughs> Because that was their situation, and it's all situational. And now, you know, God's different. He, I mean, his commandments are different because we're different. So God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, bases what he does on relativism. Yes, he's relative. Okay. He's whimsical. He's, he's, you know, on a whim. I'll just do this. Whatever God requires is right, says the letter, no matter what it is. Although we may not see the reason thereof till long after the events transpire. So that's all encompassing, folks. I mean, look. And, you know, by the way, what Joseph hides here, he never really says it in the entire letter, is, by the way, I am God. I, I'm the voice of God. 
three times he equates his voice with God's voice, at mm-hmm. least three times in, in the letter. So, yeah, he doesn't come right out and say it, but it's obviously He what ties he's the saying. two together, which is what's done in the church and has been done forever is still done, right? You listen to the brethren because they are the voice of God, and it doesn't matter what they say, how it makes you feel. Even if your every fiber of your being is like, "Ugh, that's irksome. I don't. That doesn't feel right." Well, that's your problem, because this is the voice of God, right? So he leads anyway. with the extreme, using that example from the Old Testament about God justifying murder. That that use of extreme language. Well, I'm only asking for sex. I'm not asking you to go out and kill people. See, he, he's very fucking um, subtle. Yeah. And he know, it's just a sneaky little bastard, you know? So things considered abominable to all those who understand the order of, of heaven only in part. So now he's using condescension. Mm-hmm. He's saying the reason that this seems abominable to you is you you don't understand again this order of heaven yeah. where this guy changes his mind all the time, you don't get it. And uh, I'm his mouthpiece, so let me let me straighten that out for you. Yeah, I uh, think the end of the sentence is fantastic. So he says, uh, like you said, even things which may be considered abominable to all who do not understand the order of heaven only in part, but which in reality were right. And here's the fun part. Because God gave and sanctioned by special revelation. <laughs> so yeah. I love that. He gave us yeah. a little tiny little special revelation here. And that, that we've brought up at least yeah. twice in two other podcasts, those two words, special yeah. revelation. And, and speaking of special, this is interesting. He gives the impression that his target is special in the in the eyes of God. You're, you know... The fact that I'm meeting with you and that I'm speaking for God to you, you're special. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're, you're about to be, it just depends on, you know, how far we go with this anyway. Mm. <laughs> so if we don't accuse one another, he uses this line. This is, that's tricky, tricky, tricky. If we don't accuse one another, God will not accuse us. That was actually in a talk. Not in the letter, but in a talk uh, six months earlier. Think about the logic of that. If we don't accuse one another because people are accusing him of shit in Nauvoo like crazy, okay, if they only knew, <laughs> right, then God will not accuse us. It, what? Mm. What? And is that <laughs> was that a comment from Streeter? Because I don't see that in the letter, actually. Uh, no, it's not in the letter. I mentioned oh, that. Yeah, it, yeah. He uses the comment. Uh, it's from a talk six months earlier, but it's the logic that he's presenting in the letter. In other words, right, right. Nancy, if you don't ex- accuse me, I won't accuse you, and then God won't accuse us. I'm like, what? The well, fuck? and look, I think what he's talking about is the 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 sentences that follow. So he says, uh, "A parent may whip a child, and justly too." Because he stole an apple. Whereas if the child had asked for the apple and the parent had given it, the child would have eaten it with a better appetite. There would have been no stripes. All the pleasures of the apple would have been received. All the misery of stealing lost. So that's kind of that same notion. 
He says this principle will justly apply to all of God's dealings with his children. Everything that God gives us is lawful and right. <laughs> and tis proper that we should enjoy his gifts and blessings whenever and wherever he's disposed to bestow. But if we should seize upon these same blessings and enjoyments without law, without revelation, without commandment, those blessings and enjoyments would prove cursings and vexations in the end. And we should have to go down in sorrow and wailings of everlasting regret. Yeah, so that's the same idea, right? It's like, hey, all these, that this includes everything, Nancy. Everything that we think is immoral, that we think is wrong, that we think is forbidden, that's because we only understand one side of how God works. That is true that all those things are that way. If we try to seize them on our own, but if we just ask and wait, yeah, God can say it's okay, and then it's okay. <laughs> it's wow. like, what? So <laughs> use of special divine permission, which is used by all self-proclaimed prophets and cult leaders, special divine Again, that word special, <laughs> divine permission, conflating God and prophet. They're one and the same. It's just, he does that over and over again. Um, he also leverages religious devotion and subverts their higher values or moral sensibilities. Uh, in other words, you know, again, this is a higher law. It's mm-hmm. even... <laughs> Than what you're familiar with, but if you'll submit to it, you know, you'll see that in the future. If, if you don't, you'll lose the good things you have now. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So this is one of his threats, one of his veiled yeah, threats. Too. threats. Yeah. So he yep. says, uh, I think this part of the letter applies directly. Blessings offered, but rejected are no longer blessings. <laughs> But become like the talent hidden in the earth by the wicked and slothful servant. The proffered good returns of the giver. The blessing is bestowed on those who will receive and occupy. For unto him that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundantly. But unto him that hath not, or will not receive, shall be taken away that which he hath, or might have had. So Nancy, you know, you think you're this pious, uh, obedient, virtuous woman, that's all going to be taken away if you don't submit to what God also wants you to have. Wow. Yeah. Tacit threats. Threat. I mean, and uh, I don't, I don't know. We don't know inside Nancy's mind, but uh, this is again, cult leaders use this constantly. And there's also this sense of urgency that he's using here. You know, you, we need to act on this now, mm-hmm. you know, there, however, and for whatever reason, it's like, this is an urgent situation. So that clouds your mind when you have to make a decision and you have to do it quickly without time to think about it. Uh, and so that's used quite a bit sense of urgency. Oh yeah. There's all things here anyway. Um, any more thoughts on that letter? Or do you want to move on to the other two gals that we know of? Or, or you want to? Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys can find this letter online. If you just type in happiness letter, Joseph Smith, 
there's a lot of links to it. We'll throw one of the links online, uh, one or more of the links for you to look at. It's documented. It's actually part of the Joseph Smith Papers Project, the preservation of a lot of these documents, which again, I think in the end is actually going to bite the church in the ass and, and has already started to bite the church in the ass. Uh, they probably wish these things weren't public, weren't well known. Uh, again, the irony, uh, because when you, you're the only ones that have a copy of this letter, the full text of it, you can quote that first sentence in conference all, all you want, right? <laughs> uh, but when the letter's out there on the internet, oh shit, people can read the rest of it. <laughs> and this is this is some pretty revealing stuff here. Um, this is a thought that I had on that, though. The average church member, TBM, mm. could read that letter and not see anything wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I would only, the only thing I would add is at the very end here, he does say what you were, were talking about. Um, um, who will listen to my voice and to the voice of my servant whom I have sent. Um, yeah. So again, Nancy, everything I said here about God is true. And by the way, I'm his voice and, and I am because I say so. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the part that's, that's hilarious about all of this. How do we know that Joseph Smith is the actual voice of God in this whole effort? So. Because he said so. Oh, okay. All righty. Well oh, then, um, so uh, yeah, as, as David, as you were mentioning, so guys, we know of a few cases for sure, and, and hopefully there's more, I presume there's more, we just have documented proof anyway, that there's a handful of women like Nancy who rejected Joseph's advances. Um, and so Nancy was one of them and this was a big deal because he wrote this big letter that we have, right? Uh, proof that he was trying to kind of convince her, uh, Dave, you had a couple other examples that we wanted to bring up. Okay. One other person who resisted Smith's advances is Sarah Pratt, wife of apostle Orson Pratt. Mm, right. While, while Pratt's away on a mission in England, hmm, that's convenient. Smith came to her home and said, Sister Pratt, the Lord has given you to me as one of my spiritual wives. <laughs> I have the blessings of Jacob granted me. What? <laughs> That's, that would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not mm -hmm. Jacob, uh, the Book of Mormon, obviously. I have those blessings granted unto me as God's granted holy men of old. And as I have long looked upon you with favor, favor? Hmm. Thou shalt not lust after, oh, okay, hmm. and an earnest desire of connubial bliss. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you will not repulse me or deny me. Hmm. So Sarah refuses. Orson gets home, finds out. They both confront Smith, and he just excommunicates him. That's easy. Now, wasn't hey, this, remind me, and if we don't have documentation on this, we could quickly move on. I, I, I recall something about when Orson found out, he disappeared. Yeah. 
And they uh, went several months searching later, for him. Yeah. Several months later, when her husband came home, Sarah told him everything. Smith denied having anything to do with Sarah. When Pratt chose to believe his wife, Smith accused Sarah of lying and orson of apostasy. He excommunicated them both. After apparently having a nervous breakdown and even contemplating suicide. Right. That's the part. That's the let we referred to that in a previous podcast. A repentant and broken spirited Orson Pratt was rebaptized and even reinstated in dismissed quorum of the 12th. Wow. Wow. Now this, this third one is just even more insane. In 1942, Martha Brotherton, an attractive and high-spirited 18-year-old convert from England, came to Nauvoo, anxious to meet the prophet and join the saints in Zion. Well, her utopian dreams were about to be shattered. <laughs> Martha, Martha's account is as follows. Brigham Young said, Brother Joseph has had a revelation, here we go, from God that is, it is lawful and right for a woman for a woman, for a man to have two wives. If you will accept of me, I will take you straight to the celestial kingdom. And if you will have me in this world, I will have you in that which is to come. And brother Joseph will marry us here today. And you can go home this evening and your parents won't know anything about it. (laughs) That's his words. When I declined his offer, Joseph Smith said, he is the best man in the world, except me. <laughs> if you will accept Brigham, you shall be blessed. God shall bless you and my blessing shall rest upon you. And if you don't like it in a month or two, come to me and I will make you free again. If he turns you off, I will take you on. Oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> Fucking nut house. Oh, this man. Guy's- you know, think of the arrogance of that, too. You know, he, he's swaggering around and approaching these women like, I don't see how you could definitely resist this, man. You know, Don Juan or some <laughs> shit. I, I mean, wow. Oh, so man. Yeah. There may have been other cases we don't know, but we know the ones where they did submit. And it, it's unfortunate they what they fell for again, was a promise of something in the future. This will ensure, you know, celestial glory in the next life. Mm. Nothing here except my sexual satisfaction, of course. And so, yeah, you know, interesting statements by Brigham Young around this time as well. Um, One of the most irksome and, and um, I'm just trying to find the right words. Um, I don't know, monstrous individuals, uh, whoever was in the church, I think, at least in the leadership. Um, so here, here's a couple quotes uh, from Brigham Young about this topic. So I say, woe to you, Eves, like Adam and Eve, right? Woe to you, womankind, if you pro- mm. proclaim or entertain feelings against this doctrine— Woe to every female in this church who says, I will not submit to the doctrine of God that God has revealed. You will wake up by and by and say, I have lost the crown and exaltation I might have gained had I only been faithful to my covenants and the revelations 
which God gave. I might have been crowned as well as you, but now I must go to another kingdom. (laughs) Be careful, O ye mothers in Israel, and do not teach your daughters in future, as many of them have been taught to marry out of Israel. Woe to you who do it. You will lose your crowns as sure as God lives. Be careful. Wow. Hmm. So all all in the future, all of these promises, and I love these uh, Mr. Deity and some of these other guys who emphasize uh, the fact that, you know, you're going to give up your entire life here and now for this so-called reward in the future. And then he asks you to stop and think about what that reward really is. What would it be like to live forever now mm. in some some kind of celestial state or whatever? What, what do you? Sounds boring as hell. Uh, <laughs> it really does. What are you gonna do? Mm. Well, you're gonna have more kids, create your own worlds. Wow, <laughs> really? That's, so yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> oh God, it, yeah, that's another subject altogether. It is, but. But it, it worked. It it worked for uh, Helen Mar Kimball, fourteen years old, mm. and she submitted to it. And she said, "I gladly submitted to gain such a great reward in the future." Something something to that effect. Oh, you well, and think me. about it, man. Fourteen. I mean, that's that's five years less time than Nancy even had to you know to kind of establish her views on these things and, and um, such a young age. And you're asking this, this young girl to make a decision like that. And where were her parents? I mean, I don't know all the, all the intricacies of the law at that time. Right. Did you have to have parental consent uh, at 14 to do something like that. Did her parents even know? I mean, I don't, I don't, well, Heber C. Kimball, uh, but the whole, the whole structure of the inner workings of the church is secrecy. Yeah, that's true. Apparently. So no, they probably didn't know. Well, and had Nancy submitted, it's clear that Joseph didn't want Sydney to know. Um, Oh yeah. And so that would have been secret as well. Right. And his daughter would be secretly meeting with the prophet uh, doing his thing, you know, and um, yeah. So, I mean, look, uh, hats off to Nancy Rigdon and the other two, uh, Martha Brotherton and, and Sarah Pratt for mm-hmm. at least being three that we know of that stood up to Joseph and said, no, I'm not, this isn't right. Uh, as Brotherton published an affidavit about it. Uh, of course, later, the leaders said she was a liar and tried to defame her character and deny everything. And But she even went so far as to uh, to put an affidavit together to basically say, look, uh, this happened. This is wrong. This is happening. There were five of the leaders who were practicing it uh, as it as, as it expanded in its first little phase there. Um, and and we, we talked about this uh I think yesterday, Michael, uh, imagine again, Martha, a convert from England, making that voyage across the ocean, the long, arduous trip to Nauvoo, thinking, oh, 
heaven on earth. I'm going to join again, utopia essentially. Zion. Yeah. And, and then she's asked for a special one-on-one like Nancy, you know, with the prophet. Oh my God, my dreams have all come true. Yeah. I don't think surprise, surprise, <laughs> Cracker Jacks. <laughs> Oh my uh, God! She threw the Cracker Jack box down, and they all fell everywhere. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, not the surprise she was hoping for. Um, no. Gosh, you know, I I think of Joseph's letter to to Fanny Alger as well. Mm, uh, right, his first uh, you know documented affair, essentially. Uh, there's no proof actually that they were ever married. Uh, he performed a ceremony later, uh, I th- but but there's much speculation that that was just kind of for FaceTime, you know, for show, that they'd been having sexual relations before that, uh, of course, without Emma's knowledge, um, as many of the first women were, completely without Emma's knowledge. In direct contradiction to Doctrine and Covenants 132, which Joseph says was revealed by God about this polygamy, this new and everlasting covenant, where the first wife is supposed to know, and she's supposed to approve. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, Joseph contradicting himself, he, he got more and more contradictory as time went on, and started making major mistakes like that, where he would have God reveal something that he himself was not living or following. And um, it didn't start that way, right? He's pretty consistent, tried to watch his back and make sure everything lined up. Um, But, you know, as they say, uh, as one lie compounds another, keeping everything straight. And then I would add tempering that with his own male desires, (laughs) which evidently were a Mm -hmm. huge driving factor, um, starts to become, starts to break down. You know, and ultimate power yeah. ultimately corrupts. The megalomania was was increasing, which yeah. uh, messes with your ability to think clearly, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Your you know vision, spent splendor, and, and and all the grandeur, all of this is is uh, his language. He's he's out to lunch, man. Yeah, he's yeah. not. He's not dealing with reality. He loses anymore. sound judgment. Yeah, he loses the ability yeah. to to make judgment. And so, I mean, it's fun. You, it's you see the tight leaders that were in his inner circle trying to cover for him a lot as time mm. went on because they were trying to cover the inconsistencies and the things that just weren't lining up. And that's except for one. Yeah, and that of course was John Bennett. Yes, yes. John nailed him to the wall and. It ultimately caused everything that led to his death. Well, Joseph brought it on himself. Yeah, he did. But but Bennett refused to sweep it under the rug is what it amounted to. Yeah, so. good for Bennett. Um, yeah. yeah, man, you know, inter- interesting stuff. Again, uh, man, one of my heroes uh, in, in Mormon yeah. history, Nancy Rigdon. Uh, I would like to meet her, you know. Mm. Or, I mean, I just have this picture of this very stalwart and uh what's what's the word where someone stands principled uh, with principle dignity uh values virtue i mean uh integrity and how dare that son of a bitch approach her yeah i mean uh 
Yeah. Anyway, good for her. Yeah. Well, and and we see Sydney's reaction, um, which would be, I think, similar to ours. But then, the irony again, uh, and we may <laughs> do some kind of a podcast on this to try to explore this more. He comes back. Uh, that's the part that just blows my mind um, with yeah. with a lot of these guys. They see it for what it is. They're like, "What the hell did I get myself into?" And then they come back. Like a dog to its vomit. Yeah, interesting. Serious. Yeah, something wow. psychological going on there, I think. Um, so, And again, it speaks of Joseph's powers of persuasion. Yes. And bullshitlery, let's call bullshitlery. it that. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshitlery. <laughs> Some people have great cutlery. He had great bullshittery uh, or shitlery. Yeah. <laughs> Evidently a very charismatic guy. Very persuasive. Uh, used to getting his way. Yeah, he had that gift, and he knew he had the gift. Yeah, that's the thing, and that's what led to the, the the megalomania. It it can only lead that one direction. Ultimately, mm. uh, do we know of instances where people have that charismatic kind of power and influence over people, and it doesn't ultimately corrupt them? I possibly. I don't know. I, I yeah. that's not the cases that I've heard about. Yeah, I mean, it It ultimately, I think, would lead to some level of narcissism and uh, advanced narcissism would lead, would be, you know, megalomania, right? I'm, right. Um, yeah, so crazy, crazy stuff. Well, folks, uh, thanks for joining us as we talked about the happiness letter. <laughs> and uh, uh, you'll be downloading the one from ne- uh, last week today i guess or yeah the next day that's or... right yeah we're a week behind i decided instead of publishing two podcasts back to back we would just uh keep one or two in reserve and so um yeah so so the news will be at least a week old now <laughs> as you listen to it anyway but it's um, pretty much the same pretty much same news lot of the time anyway over and over bullshit seems (laughs) seems to be (laughs) oh yeah so uh thanks again for joining us guys and um you know take care be a nancy rigdon this week stand up and let's everyone be happy (laughs) it is the design of our existence (laughs) or at least bye guys see ya (laughs) bye-bye the the object wait what's the object Uh, joseph's penis what Okay, we're we're done. (laughs) Definitely done. Adios.